So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to get your Bibles out. If you have paper, if you, what is happening right now? Who's taller? Who's taller out of you two? Who's taller? What? You guys were just measuring your height, right? Who's taller? Got it. Noise. All right. So if you have your paper Bibles, would love for you to get it out. If you have an electronic Bible, maybe you use the version Bible app. Um, uh, All right. If you use the version Bible app, um, on the bottom right-hand corner of your app, there is an icon that is titled More. And if you tap that icon and then go to Events, you will find um, the Bethel Youth event, and that um, is all of our sermon notes for all of the sermons that um, we are going to be... Um, You can follow along with all of our sermon notes. And also the really cool thing about it is our small group questions are in there. And also there are some resources at the end. And so there's about two or three articles that kind of take a deep dive into um, the main themes of the text that we are going to be walking through tonight. And so I'd highly encourage you to save that event so you can access it um, at a later date. And it's not so you don't just access it today. And so we're going to be starting Mark chapter chapter 15, and um, we're going to get there in just a few moments, but I want to ask a question. Who is this room, who in this room has ever been given a gift? Just by a show of hands, you've been given a gift before. Okay, all of us should have our hands up. We've had some sort of gift. Okay, how many of you have received a gift that was like really, really special to you? Like you think back to childhood birthdays or whatever it is. Okay, it's really, really special gifts. Game Boy Colors, shout out. Maybe you've wanted this gift for a long time. Your parents got it for your birthday. But how many of you have ever received a gift that you probably didn't deserve? Yes. I'll raise my hand. Pretty much all gifts or whatever. But if if we spent some time, most of us could think of... Uh, A gift that we received even though we didn't deserve it. You've been on a trip with your family. No matter how long this trip is, no matter if it's a road trip or a vacation or whatever the case may be, you may have been a butthead, okay? Have any of us been buttheads on vacations? Yes, because we're terrible people sometimes. And you have a bad attitude because teenagers sometimes tend to have bad attitudes, I know that's just a part of the territory, but the crazy thing is, is maybe you were on a trip, you were a butthead, you had a bad attitude, but um, oftentimes or sometimes our parents still would give us a souvenir. Maybe they would get us dessert at Dairy Queen. Maybe they get us um, a giant uh, lollipop from Disneyland, if that's where you're at, or a water park. The thing is, You didn't deserve that gift because your attitude was good, Um, your attitude was actually trash, and they didn't owe you anything. And it's interesting to think about that. It's interesting to think about trips and the things that our parents, the things that our friends give to us, even though we don't deserve it. So now that you have just this concept in your minds, tonight we're going to be reading and unpacking the greatest gifts that's ever been given. And the greatest gift that's ever been given without anyone earning it or deserving it. 
So if you're in Mark chapter 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 20. I want to invite my friend KD up here. She is going to read our text. Would you stand with us as we read Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 20? Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barbarus was, a pri was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests uh, stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barbarus instead. Um, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barbarus to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him and when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they let him out to crucify him. Thanks. Thanks, Katie. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So what we just read, if we were to put this on, uh, to look at it as a timeline of like a week, what we just read took place really early on Friday morning. The events that we've been reading and studying the past few weeks are called Holy Week. They're the events surrounding and leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. And the past several hours um, have been wild for Jesus and his disciples on many accounts. Thursday evening, Jesus was reclining and chilling at the table with his disciples, sharing the Passover meal. And um, if you're wondering what the Passover meal is, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about what that is. Um, I preached a sermon about it uh, three weeks ago. So if you're interested in listening to that sermon, you can go to um, our Spotify and you can listen to past sermons. Uh, there is a link in your YouVersion uh, notes. So after this meal, Jesus and three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, go to a nearby Olive Garden to pray. And during this time, <laughs> that was it. The Olive Garden was called Gethsemane. It's a legit Olive Garden. It was, I thought it was so funny. And I typed it out unintentionally. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. So they were going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And during this time of prayer, Jesus is in deep distress and agony as to what is to come. 
He's praying to God the Father. Mark chapter 14, verse 36, he says, take this cup from me. Saying, take this cup of suffering from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he's saying, if there's any other way, if there's any other way to accomplish this, I want to do that. But amid his agony, there was a deep sense of trust in the Father. He was ready to bear the weight of the sin of the world. In the middle of this prayer time in the garden, Jesus was betrayed by one of his disciples named Judas, and he was arrested by the Jewish leaders and taken to the Jewish high priest. He was the most influential and powerful man in the context of Judaism. And Jesus was falsely accused, shamed, ridiculed, beaten, and spit on during this illegal trial. They were having a hard time convicting uh, Jesus because of these testimonies of these people that were coming forth, these false testimonies. And at the end of this trial, Mark 14, verse 61, Mark records the high priest asking Jesus a question. He says this, are you the Messiah, son of the blessed one? And Jesus responds with, I am. And this was enough for the Jewish people to condemn them because Jesus was claiming to be God. And to them, if anyone claims to be God, that is blasphemous, worthy of death. And if you want to hear more about that, you can listen to our sermon from last week on our page. And so this, what we just explained, was phase one of this phase two uh, trial. So phase one was with a religious trial with the Jews. Phase two is a civil trial with the Romans, and that's what we're going to study this morning, or tonight. So now that we have context, let's dive into the explanation and application of this text. So let's go back to Mark chapter 15, verse 1, and let's read it again. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. So verse 1, it says that the religious leaders made their plans. So the question is, what are these plans? What plans did they make? And if we turn over to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 23, Luke gives us three things the Jews charged Jesus with. Here's the three things. They charged him with undermining the authority of the Jewish nation. The second thing was they opposed, because Jesus opposed the payment supposedly of, take, of taxes to Caesar and then claims to be the Messiah, a king. So the Roman government, um, they don't care really what the Jews think is blasphemous or against their religion. They didn't care if Jesus was undermining the Jewish authority. The Roman government left the Jewish people alone for the most part with their religious stuff and just allowed the Jewish people to kind of deal with their own things on their own. However, the Romans did care about if someone claims to be a king and threatens their authority as the Roman government. And so we can see that this is uh, one of the main issues that Pilate is concerned about. Verses 2 through 5, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Jesus was, or Pilate was, Amazed. So it's interesting. Jesus' lack of response to these accusations and seeing hatred from these religious leaders amazed Pilate. 
He was taken back. How could someone not respond out of anger and lash out against these people because of their claims? Let's keep moving. Verses 6 through 11. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists. We'll talk about that in a minute. Who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. So this custom of releasing a prisoner that Mark is writing about is interesting. The Roman governor who in this um, context and in this time period would be a guy named Pilate, he would grant the release of a Jewish prisoner before the Passover feast as an act of goodwill to the Jews. Kind of like a peace offering to the Jews saying like, hey, we're going to oppress you the entire year, but this one time a year we'll release a prisoner to you to show you that we're not all bad. So in total, um, the Romans would have been in the rule um, of, of the Jews for 400 years. Years, So you can imagine if you were over the, an oppressive rule for 400 years, you can imagine that there's probably going to be groups of people that are trying to overthrow the Roman government. The Romans were uh, immensely hated by the Jewish people. There were groups of people called zealots that would organize revolts to try to overthrow the Roman government. Uh, in the original language, the word insurrectionist means terrorists. So you could say that, that um, Barabbas was like a terrorist against the Roman government. So given the context of the passage in Jewish, his, Jewish history, it's safe to say that Barabbas was most likely a zealot participating in these revolts against Rome. And you could say Barabbas was the picture of what most Jews wanted the Messiah to be. The Messiah that the Jews hoped for and they wanted was a person that would save them physically from the oppressive rule of the Romans. So what is significant? Is there significance between or with the exchange of Barabbas and Jesus? So Barabbas was a murderer, an insurrectionist or a terrorist, guilty of capital punishment, we have him on one side. We have Jesus on the other side. Jesus was the one who made the blind see, made the lame walk, healed the lepers, loved the outcasts, raised the dead, cast out demons, compelled people to love one another, and the list goes on. Verse 14 tells us that Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. Verse 10 tells us that Pilate knew the chief priests were doing this out of their, for their personal gain. They knew this, that they were doing this because they were upset. Maybe they were jealous for the popularity that Jesus had. So why did he still hand over Barabbas to them and do what they asked? If he's the governor, if he is in the rule over them, why did he have to do what they said? As you can imagine from what we've talked about, the Romans and the Jews, they were at odds with each other. And if you caught it in the text, there was this mob that was forming and it was getting out of control. And so Pilate had a decision to make. Do I calm the mob or do, or do I do what I know is right? So Pilate didn't want the mob to get out of control because it could affect his authority and his position as governor. So he did what they wanted to keep 
the peace. So we see a mob of people deceived into thinking that Barabbas is whom they want and will solve their problems and issues. And isn't it interesting how closely we resemble the crowd? When given the decision to choose between a Jesus alternative and Jesus, we often choose the Jesus alternative. We choose the thing that we think will satisfy us and make us whole. And my question is, why do we do this? Why do we choose the Jesus alternative instead of the true Jesus? We're going to talk more about that in our small groups. But part of me doesn't really know the answer to this. But if I had to guess, maybe it's because we feel like Jesus will or has let us down. It may feel like Jesus isn't what you thought he was. Or maybe for you, Jesus isn't healing your mental illness or your social anxiety. Maybe in your mind, you thought once Jesus was in the picture, all of that stuff would go away. And when it didn't, you felt betrayed, tricked, and lonely. The part I have the most challenging time with is that I don't know why God does and doesn't do certain things. And it can be frustrating, can't it? This has been a question for ages. How do we find comfort in a God that doesn't always do what we want him to do? Maybe the first step in us understanding this is asking this question, is what I'm expecting of God good for me? Is the request that I'm making known to God, are those the things that are good for me? Is what I'm expecting God to do what's right for me? I have to remind myself often that I don't have the complete picture. On this side of heaven, we will never know fully the plans of God. I didn't speak everything into existence. I was not before all things and hold all things together. I do not appoint all leaders and authority. And the reason I tell you this is I think it can bring us comfort because God, um, because the God that was before all things, who is in all things, knew you before you were born, Jeremiah 1.5. He loves you and you are his workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, Ephesians 2. And I say all of this to say, why would we choose something temporary that will fail us at some point and not bring true fulfillment over trusting the one who has created us and has all authority. The absolute beauty of this passage is the exchange that happens with Barabbas and Jesus. Verse 12, what shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. This is one of the most explicit pictures of what Jesus has done for us. Barabbas stood guilty before Pilate. He stood guilty before the crowd. He was guilty of murder, rebellion against the Roman government, and deserved death. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, describes every person as guilty before God because of their sin and rebellion against God, deserving death. 
Romans 3, 23 through 25 says this, For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Romans 6, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Barabbas did nothing on his own to relieve the guilt and the price of his sin. Jesus was chosen to take his place, letting him go and taking the penalty of sin upon himself. And we are like Barabbas. We are allowed to go free with no condemnation because of our sin. Um, because of our sin, because, 1 Peter 3, for Christ also suffered once and for all for our sins. The righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. This is the heart of the gospel. Jesus lived a life that we couldn't live died a death we should have died, and rose again, overcoming sin and death and allowing us to have life. And Jesus invites us into that life when we confess our sins and declare Jesus the Lord of our life. 1 John 1, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteous, unrighteousness. So verse 16 through 20, the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. They began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe, put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Jesus was mocked, shamed, and beaten before the cross. His back and legs were ripped open by these whips that contained bone and lead. It was the Roman custom to whip the prisoner 40 times. His beating was to wear the prisoner down to die faster on the cross. And the reason Jesus endured this was for you and for me. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 12. It says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom uh, people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed." We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life until death. He was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This was a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus' crucifixion. And this is what Jesus has done for you and for me. He desires you to come to him and to receive this free gift of salvation that was bought with his death. This salvation comes through faith in Jesus and the repentance of sin. And what we're going to do is we're, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to stand together and we are going to just respond by singing songs together, two songs together, just reflecting and remembering the price that Jesus paid for your life and for my life so that we could have, yes, eternal life, but also have life here on earth. So let's pray and then we're going to sing together. Jesus, we thank you so much for the price that you paid for me and for us. God, it was the death that I should have died. But Jesus, out of your grace and your compassion, you took my place. You took the sin of the world upon yourself so that we could have the gift of salvation. And Jesus, we thank you for that. I pray that as we spend the next few moments singing lyrics to you, singing lyrics, re lyrics reflecting on the sacrifice that was made, the price that was paid. Would you help us to be thankful for that? Help us to remember what you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as Patrick and Jordan lead us in a few songs.